Hello and welcome to BSD Talk, number 56. It's Wednesday, July 19, 2006. All I have is an interview for you today, so we'll go right to it. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Joel Yeagley from the University of Oregon, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks. And I called you today regarding your work with the Network Startup Resource Center. So could you describe a little bit about what NSRC does? The NSRC is a nonprofit organization that's been around in one form or another since the late 1980s. It was actually started by a guy named Randy Bush, more or less out of his garage. And the idea was to take Internet connectivity to places that it had not previously reached. Um, So some of the first connections were to universities in South Africa and to other academic institutions in Africa, and those were originally FidoNet connections, and then they moved on to the UUCP, and then the NSRC evolved due to grants from people like the National Science Foundation and um, the Carnegie Foundation into, rather than providing network connectivity, which was being built out in various places in Africa, to providing assistance um, with people who needed network connectivity. And at the same time, it expanded from dealing with just a few individuals in a small number of countries to um, providing consulting and support to people really all over the world, anywhere that networking had not previously reached. So Mongolia, Bhutan, Nepal, places in Central America, Panama was a place that I worked early in the 90s, and so on. At present, most of the effort is actually focused on networks that already exist, either commercial networks or research organizations or non-governmental organizations in more or less the same places that we've already worked. And our principal focus at this point is teaching about how the Um, networking technologies have matured and about building internet services that actually work for customers because connectivity and actual services are fairly thin out on the edges of the internet. So recently you came back from one conference or one set of workshops and that was in Samoa? Yeah, so a year ago we did the first PACNOG workshop. This is the Pacific Island network operators group. Um, And so this is sort of built on the model of the other network operators groups, the first of which really was uh, the North American network operators group, NANOG, and subsequently other network operators groups have been created, including AFNOG, the African network operators group, the South Asian network operators group, um, and so on. But there wasn't a whole lot of, of opportunity for uh, individuals or organizations to to get together and talk about the unique connectivity needs of um, the Pacific Islands because there's sort of di- a diversity of problems that are unique to having a large number of mostly disconnected islands. 
some of those problems are similar to the ones in Africa in the sense that um, there's no infrastructure between these places in many cases, but some of them are different in the sense that there will never be any infrastructure in between some of those places. When you have hundreds of islands, you know, they're not all going to be linked via cables, for example. But the PACNOG conference really grew out of a desire to get those people together because they all face a similar set of challenges. So through a collaboration with Cisco and an organization called PETA, which is the Pacific Islands Internet Telephony Association, it's a sort of a spin-off of uh, the ITU efforts in the region, we created a workshop. The first one was held in Fiji, and the most recent one was held in Samoa, really on the model of some of our previous workshops, but to bring some experience on routing and some experience on deploying um, network services to a place that's fairly underserved. The topics of these meetings are not necessarily how to hook up a small local area network, but more for backbone infrastructure? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, if you look at it, lots of people have enough experience to actually get an ISP on the network. Because these people start out with single satellite links, it actually you know, looks not unlike connecting your home to DSL or cable, right? There's one static route upstream. You have a small number of IP addresses. And that part's actually pretty simple. And so there's sort of a flourishing of relatively small ISPs providing pretty basic service wherever people find a need for Internet connectivity. But scaling that experience um, to the point where you can run a reasonable uh, commercial network that has features like high availability, redundant connectivity, and so on, um, requires making the next step. So on the network side, the materials that we teach involve setting up an IGP, so internal routing to your network, um, setting a BGP so that you can multi-home or load balance among your peers, the necessary effort that you need to go into with, um, in this case, APNIC, in order to get, actually get IP addresses that are uh, provider independent and getting your provider to actually carry those uh, addresses. On the services side, which is actually my the portion of the workshop that I teach, we focus on actually building mail systems that you can scale on RADIUS or AAA authentication services, on deploying web services like webmail applications in a secure fashion, and generally building services that are sort of above the default level of slapping Unix on a box and bringing up a web server. And speaking of slapping Unix on a box, what is your recommended operating system for providing these services? What we actually teach most of the time is on FreeBSD, and there's a couple of reasons why it's particularly well-suited for these kinds of applications. One of the reasons that we really have been highly motivated to use it, actually, is that the founder of the project is an early BSD hacker. That would be Randy Bush. But entirely beyond that, its utility in terms of um, being able to incrementally update the operating system to actually keep multiple machines relatively in sync with each other and tools like CVSUP and the ports collection actually help a lot in terms of minimizing the amount of data that you have to move over a link in order to 
manage and keep your BSD systems running. I mean, if you think about it, we use Fedora Core Linux for a number of applications, but it's not particularly well suited to the emerging world because all of a sudden, you know, a major update comes out, and so you have to download a DVD ISO so that you can get the next release. So if you, you're paying, you know, $5,000 a month per megabit for your satellite link, and all of a sudden you have to move four gigs, that can be a serious impediment. I mean, that has, a, that has an actual impact on the underlying costs of running an ISP, um, which is not something that we're used to dealing with in uh, the developed world, but is a real problem for ISPs in the developing world. Beyond that, FreeBSD just has a number of features that I like that make it easy for people to deploy. The whole GEOM architecture has gotten really mature, and it makes, for example, moving from a system that has unmirrored disks to having mirrored disks extremely simple. And that can be important for building an ISP and a shoestring. Beyond that, the ports collection and the ability to simply localize all of the packages to FreeBSD in relatively short order substantially increases the speed at which we can do the workshop. Um, it used to be the case sort of in the era of FreeBSD 4 or something like uh, the Linux 2.0, 2.2 kernel, and uh, Red Hat version 4 or 5 that we would cross-train people in terms of actually building and installing packages from source by hand from you know, the official repositories for those pieces of software. By and large, we've moved to teaching that using the ports simply because people have done a really good job with the ports collection in terms of localizing stuff for FreeBSD. And how well is FreeBSD received in these countries? Do people raise their eyebrows and are they confused and they don't know what you're talking about, or is FreeBSD well known there? We sort of have to assume a certain amount of experience um, with either Linux or Unix operating systems in order to bring in relatively high-level materials. So for the most part, the students that we deal with have a substantial amount of experience on Linux. It used to be the case when we would do these in Africa 10 years ago that most of that experience was on Solaris. But from my perspective, it's actually nice to teach a tool that people don't um, actually use all the time because it gives them some familiarity with another toolkit and a different way of doing things. Um, my early Unix system administration experience would suggest that, you know, I learned one kind of box, right, and then that was a major impediment to actually get to another one. In this case, the one that I learned was Solaris, and so when I moved to Linux uh, in, I don't know, 1993, there was a significant learning curve to be, oh, be overcome there. If we did this workshop on Linux, I think a lot of the students would have enough experience just from the built-in level that they're on to do all the exercises without thinking critically about what they're doing. So making it slightly unfamiliar, I think, helps a little bit there. It gives people some experience with a tool that's slightly different than the ones that they're used to before. And I've seen a fair amount of uptake in terms of people actually using and deploying FreeBSD um, as a product of this. And you did say that uh, the conference, one of the sponsors was Cisco Systems. Do you primarily use Cisco for the routers or are you also using FreeBSD for some of the routing infrastructure? 
We primarily use Cisco for routers. Um, we've done other workshops where we've had a mix of vendors. A lot of that has to do with just the logistics of actually routing. I mean, it's one thing to, to build PC routers. In another, uh, another hat that I wear is uh, as part of the Oregon Route Views project. And um, if you're familiar with, at all with Route Views, the Route Views routers are actually BGP speaking PCs um, that collect uh, full tables from um, routers all over the world, either via BGP multi hop or routers that are located physically in exchange points. So I have a fair amount of experience with PC based routers, but when you're dealing with an environment in which you have sort of a diversity of network interfaces and not necessarily enough capital to be able to afford large amounts of spares. It really is desirable to purchase some kind of commercial router that you can put under support. Um, and so to the extent that there are PC router vendors, some of their products are attractive in this market and some of them are not. But, I mean, unfortunately, the lack of commoditization on, on hardware like DS3 interfaces and above or V35 serial ports makes actually just taking a PC off the shelf a little less desirable for that application, from my perspective. What about your own individual use of FreeBSD? Has working with FreeBSD over the years encouraged you to use it on your own workstation? It has. I have a mixture of uh, FreeBSD and Linux systems. My office at the University of Oregon is actually mostly Linux. But we do use FreeBSD for uh, certain applications. A lot of our uh, Linux usage is simply is a product of commercial applications that we run. So those applications have migrated from, say, Solaris to Linux as being their blessed platform, and so we run them there. But my, as my experience with FreeBSD has grown over the last decade or so, um, I've deployed more services on top of it. I prefer to run um, machines to, that are remote that I have no physical access to on FreeBSD because um, upgrading them is a lot less painful than it is with most Linux systems, and, which is not to say that it can't be done on Linux boxes, just that in terms of just being able to do a CVS up and make build world and drop the box down to single user mode and reinstall everything, is a lot more elegant than the hoops that we have to jump through to upgrade a Fedora Core 4 machine to a Fedora Core 5 machine, you know, using a serial console and, and uh, nothing but remote network access. So when you have machines that are, uh, like with the RouteViews project, located on four continents, you know, if you break one, you don't want to have to fly out there or talk somebody through doing it on the phone in order to get the machine back up. All right, well, are there any other topics you wanted to talk about today? Well, uh, just to plug the NSRC again, the real goals of this project are to build out connectivity um, by providing education. And as networks mature in the developing world, um, I think the rest of us pay out um, big dividends from that through enhanced communication with the rest of the world, through better education, um, in those locations, and you know, in terms of having a generally informed populace that sees the United States or the Western world as 
something other than, you know, this distant threat or uh, some combination of the images that uh, our media actually portray us as. I mean, everyone has this view in the rest of the world of, you know, American pop music, of American film culture, of American television, but the engineering community and the internet community actually portrays a very different view of the United States, one that's much more inclusive than what you see on television. I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, no problem. And uh, good luck with your work. Yep, thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com or if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. This has been BSD Talk number 56. Thank you for listening.